He's the release, but an off-target throw is intercepted by Sione Takitaki. Pick six to the house for the Browns. Well, indecision by Carson Wentz because he has a wide-open receiver. This little fake bubble screen and go type of play, and he's got the great, I mean, just wide-open Rager, and he decides not to throw the football, doesn't see it, ends up dumping it to Sanders, and Taki Taki is all over this thing. Denzel Ward off the corner had the hit, and Sione Taki Taki with the first. It's beautiful. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's beautiful. You see Denzel on the hezzy, he was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure, I'm going to go. And then he got him just in time. Perfect and perfect timing for you to tune in to All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast uh, that you can find, uh, the audio podcast, uh, as always, where all popular podcasts are found. And, of course, now the simulcast is we are live on YouTube, uh, Periscope, and Facebook Live Yes, your Cleveland Browns are 7-3. and three. Uh, They are in the playoff mix at the 6th seed right now. Uh, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. You are locked in. We're going to talk it all out. We have a fabulous guest here with us tonight. Um, this is the show where we interview the most uh, popular personalities and most intriguing people in Cleveland sports and national sports sometimes. To answer the pressing issues that face our Cleveland Browns, and tonight we have a colleague of mine over at the USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire, the one and only Josh Keeley. Now, Josh is a uh, is not only writes at The Browns Wire, but hosts The Browns Wire podcast and is former running back at Valparaiso, correct? Am I right on that, Josh? Oh, yeah. was not very good. wasn't very good. That's why I'm sitting here. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's I, a fact. I, I don't <laughs> don't take that away from yourself at all. I, I envision you as a as a uh, as a young Christian McCaffrey. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Yes. You know what? I was actually I was actually more of a hammer. I weighed about 220. Even though really? I was five six, and I, yeah, I was I was more of a hammer, which is probably why I ended up at Valpo because five six hammer is a very uh, hammerish. Hey, Valparaiso is nothing to scoff at, man. That's that's great. And uh, <laughs> with that, though, you bring your football knowledge to the Browns Wire, which is awesome, and the Browns Wire podcast, which I'm assuming you can find where all popular podcasts are found, right? Absolutely. And we brought in uh, Donovan James. He's my co-host now. Donovan, he he's insane. He used to he used to uh, he really dives in deep on a lot of these guys' recruiting backgrounds. And those a lot of their fathers, their mothers. Brothers, sisters, it's it's really crazy. He's brought a new element to the show, so I'm, I'm very happy that he's he's a part of it now. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, you are here with us. You've been on the show before. First time here on the uh, live simulcast. Here, we're gonna talk a little bit about everything going on. First of all, hold on, I got my notes over here, but I want to start off with so another rain-soaked day, and I I've started my questions with my last few guests the same way, and I'm gonna do it with you too but another rain-soaked Sunday three straight games weather at least it wasn't the wind you know they could throw a little bit in it this time uh which was different from the last two games the Raiders game the Texans game uh Sunday's game is just for me 
you know, Josh, another instance of one of those games that in the past the Browns would have lost. Like these games that they're winning, the Texans, uh, the Philly game, a number of games earlier in the season, just years after years after years of them losing those type of games, finding a way to lose those kind of games, close games, mucked up games, turnovers at the wrong time, just found a way to lose every week. And they're finding a way to win them now. I think a lot of it's coaching, a lot of it's uh, the personnel, and uh, it's been a blast. But, uh, you know, your initial takeaways, well, we'll get to that here. Uh, I wanted to ask you this question first. With the rain and the wind, next time they build a stadium, you <laughs> want the retractable roof. Retractable roof or no? No, or hell you, no, man. No, you want the... You want the you want the air, huh? But how would the NFL draft look if we didn't have that constant argument? Is he an AFC North quarterback? That's that's vital to my breakdown and why I love Cleveland, dude. I love it. I love I love the elements, man. I guess. I mean, <laughs> the elements. I can't. I can't. I can't make anything out of these games and the elements, man. I mean. The last three games, we, we can't we can't evaluate the quarterback. We can't decipher what's going on in the defense. Is it the weather? Is it the defense? I mean, we're going to get to all that. But, I mean, it's just a mess, right? I mean, and you got to find a way to win it. So kudos to them for doing so. But, man, it has just been three straight games now. I feel like, I feel like it's really difficult to come to grips with what the Browns are right now. You know what? You, you, you're right. Honestly, if they built a, if they built a dome, I wouldn't care. I'm I'm pretty nonchalant about it. I don't like the way the league is heading. I'm more of an old school guy, anyways. You know, I I, I miss the days where you know you would hand it off to your Earl Campbellish running back or you know Jamal Lewis kind of running back, and that's how you won the game. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I do think evaluating the quarterback, though, the, the Baker Mayfield conversation. If you want to bring that up already, uh, I, I don't understand why it's such a negative thing that he is playing a game manager-esque role. Uh, he's not I, – I heard someone say he had another ho-hum game. Why is that a bad thing? Like you just said, it's wet, it's rainy. He's not turning the ball over. Isn't that the key? Isn't that the best thing that we want from him right now? Anyways? I, I agree. So, like, I would give him – you know, the only criticism I have for him, I don't even really blame him for the fumble – uh, it's just one of those kind of days. Um, yeah. I, I just, you know, he missed those throws down there twice to Hooper that should have been touchdowns. And, and maybe they are on a dry day. I don't know. He threw the ball pretty well the rest of the day. Um, I mean, he pushed the ball down the field a couple times to Hodge, He, you know, yeah. on the sidelines. He made a really good throw, long ball, deep throw to Higgins. Um, down the middle uh, on a great read. So, I mean, he was going the right places with the ball, mm -hmm. it seemed like. It just was uh, that one that one scenario there where they couldn't get in. You know, he missed – I mean, he missed a wide-open hooper. And then, of course, yeah. Kareem Hunt gets the review, and they call that back. And the game's probably not even nearly as close if, if they score there. Um, but that was the only, the only criticism I had of him. I feel like – He's managed the weather for the most part, even and I took, you know, uh, some criticism from, for, from some people after the Las Vegas game on Twitter. But I thought he played well in the Las Vegas game for the most part. 
I agree. Um, and and a lot of people were saying, oh, no, he didn't. He missed this or missed that. And But it, once again, it was a really windy day, and both quarterbacks kind of dealing with that. I thought he put him in a position to win the game. Um, they just didn't. And so I agree with you for the most part. It, it's kind of like a... Okay, great. You handled the weather real well, but that's not my main concern. Does, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. You know, he, he misses, he misses high, and I think that makes his misses look worse, right? Yeah. I know those guys were wide open. There's there's no excuse for that, but, I mean, you got to give him – he's going to have one of those a game. That's kind of the give and take of ha- having him as the quarterback. Uh, I, I But I think that the biggest – issue with him was that he was making dumb decisions i didn't see that i didn't see him making dumb decisions i I, and i feel like he's okay with the game plan being run heavy and he's adjusted his game plan as such the way he looks downfield and i I just i I think that he looks good i think you'd be hard pressed to list 10 quarterbacks that you like more than him in the nfl right now i think that he's played perfectly fine yeah i i think he's playing fine too um i think this will be Here's the thing, though, right? So they went into the bye week, self-scout week. We did a self-scout show. I wrote a self-scout article. We, you know, we kind of looked at all that stuff. We've identified kind of some things the defense has been doing differently. But you can't really – the offense hasn't had an opportunity to kind of really break out of, like, any tendencies. Like, I think they're running into – they're doing a lot of things that are really high tendency, and they need to watch that. Like, like – uh, and that was something that when Jay came on the show, he pointed out big time. It's like, here's a tendency. There's something they're doing. We would like to see them. He did a whole piece. He need to do the screen game more. I found a statistic about them throwing to the deep middle uh, where they've only thrown to the deep middle seven times all year. And Baker Mayfield's passer rating is like 107 last year thrown to the deep middle. Like these are parts of the field and area maybe that they aren't will come with the offense. You know what I mean? It's like maybe they're just kind of sticking to what works right now. And they've had to do that for the past three weeks. We haven't seen, like, what they came out of self-scout week with in the past game. So maybe we get some good weather in Jacksonville, and maybe we see some different things from the past game. What do you think? I think that – it. see, I think that the Jacksonville game is going to be harder to judge than the Philly game. I think that Philly has some talent. You know, I think that if, if fully healthy, we know that they're a playoff team. Uh, we know that they're a very solid team in a lot of areas. Jacksonville's a pretty poor team. They're not very they good. Uh, you know, I think that the line opened up, the Vegas line opened up at seven points. And sorry, it's down to six and a half, but still that's like yep. the fourth, that's like the fourth highest line of, of NFL this week. And that's not a thing that the Browns the Browns are usually not favored by that much. So that's you know, that's saying something about how bad the Jaguars are. We don't know who their quarterback's gonna be. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. Um, they just I think their whole entire defensive coaching staff had to leave the didn't have to leave practice today because of yes, COVID. I got it right here. Yeah, so uh, the Jags entire defensive coaching staff out of the building today. I, I don't know how big that is influential wise. More so, let's go back to what you said about the quarterback is that was going to be one of my questions tonight. Uh, so Minshew's hurt, right? And yeah. Luton was piss poor, terrible against Pittsburgh. Um, And then, so Mike Glennon is still in the league, apparently. And they're going (laughs) to run him out there, maybe, I guess. Mike Glennon, I I don't know. 
I don't know. I see. I, I don't know why you'd be upset with Luton after a poor performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's the Steelers. I, exactly. That line opened up last week. The Steelers were uh, favored by 10 points. I jumped on it. I you asked Donovan, you can listen to the Browns Wire podcast. I put money on that on Monday. I said, dude, the Steelers are going to run him over. And they did. He did exactly what you thought he was going to do. The Steelers have a really good defense. They have a great pass defense, great pass rush. The dude flipped out and threw it up. Remember, he comes from Oregon State in the Pac-12 where that's what they do is throw it up when they're not yep. pressured, let alone when they are pressured. So I would be very surprised if Doug Marone would pull the pull the leash on him and already go to Mike Glennon. But you know, you never know. Mike Glennon has a lot of experience, as we, we kind of just briefly talked about. But with that said, he's yeah. on the 30th team for a reason. So I, yeah. I don't think what Glennon could do. The Browns aren't the Pittsburgh Steelers on defense. The Browns are the 22nd deep passing defense in the NFL. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pull the trigger just yet. We're getting there. We're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the defense. Uh, I want to talk about that a, a lot tonight here. So. Uh, as as there's a lot there uh, to unwrap, kind of with the defense, with the weather and and the injuries now. So, oh, yeah. uh, but as far as the Jaguars go, you don't. Is this a trap game? One win. Uh, I don't think they want to win a game. Like the guys in the organization in the front office, they don't want to win a game right now, do they? Yeah. I mean, like. Like, they, they want to tank, right? Like, they want to get the highest possible pick. I know players don't do that and the coaches don't do that, so that doesn't matter. But organizationally, do they really want to win a game right now? I don't, I think that they do, man. I think that the ownership's kind of under a lot of pressure. I know that if you go – if you follow Jaguars Twitter, they're talking about how it's, it's already the owner's 100th loss. And it's like the fastest an owner's got to 100 losses in NFL history. Like, he's getting a lot of pressure. I would assume that he wants to start winning some games and looking a little bit better. They already know that they're going to have a high draft pick. They suck. You know what I mean? But I think that they want to look a little bit more competitive. They, they, I think that they beating a team like the Browns would be a plus for them. I, I do think I do think that they want that moving forward. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, you know, I'm just I'm sitting there thinking – that right now they they'd have the second pick I think in the draft right yeah. so uh, if the Jets win a game I think the Jaguars would move to the first pick I think tiebreaker wise so hey you know uh, Jets uh, they had the game won against uh, New England and basically gave it over to them so you know the Jets are doing the same thing I don't know uh, what they what they want to do there uh, their coach Doug Marone. He's going to be fired, I would assume, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I know they, they like him a lot. Dave Caldwell there. at GM. Now, see, he's probably fired. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's, yeah. he's made a lot of players mad. But, I, again, I, I don't know. I don't really know. The, I don't know the situation about how, how they run things down there from an organizational level. Um, I know that they – like, I don't want – I never like to use the word tank, but I do believe that this year was a, okay, Minshew, see what you got. Now, I don't know where they are with him. That's the thing, too. Yeah. Having the first pick in the draft is great. But if you're going to go Trevor Lawrence, are you going to have another Joe Burrow situation? I always find it weird and strange when teams that are that bad put all their eggs in the basket on a quarterback because that quarterback is either, A, going to get injured, or, B, going to be traumatized like Sam Darnold. And the Jaguars yeah. are so bad that they, they're not they're, – there are three – four, five, six first-round picks away from being relevant at all. So I just – I don't know if that's a key motivation there. But I don't know if the organizational standpoint standpoint is firing their coach, especially with Minshew missing so much time and you had to know your team was going to suck. They got an undrafted running back. I don't I don't know. 
the Jaguars' story is so weird, right? Like, they were at the top with their defense, and then they've just been – they never had the quarterback, right? And then it's just been mm-hmm. kind of a downhill since then. Um, they get Ronnie Harrison, what a steal, right, we yep. get from them as they're selling off pieces again. Um, so let's uh, – Let's pivot here. Let's look at some statistics from the game, some stuff I wrote down, just some stuff that I wanted to talk about here. We'll go over. This is from, okay, so Denzel Ward, calf strain. Looks like he's going to be out a couple weeks, I guess, and that's even questionable, it seems like. Uh, Who knows? Uh, I mean, who was it that missed a bunch of time with a calf strain? Uh, Teller, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, had a cap strain and he missed three weeks or something like that. Uh, so, but Ward at the top of his game right now, uh, guarded, uh, you know, covered, uh, Travis, uh, Fulcom, who, Fulcom, who's been fantastic, uh, for partially, not the whole time, because the Browns don't do a lot of switching sides because of that cover three stuff, but zero catches, one target, one pass defense. For Fulcom, who has before that, prior to that, had five, uh, five, pardon me, four games out of five with five plus catches and seventy plus yards, shut down completely mm-hmm. uh, by Ward. Four pass breakups, an interception, and a QB pressure that led to the Taki Taki TD, which we started off the show with. Now he's out with a calf strain, and Miles Garrett's out again, mm-hmm. and and surprisingly. They come out with that. Did it surprise you that they came out with that on Monday? Because protocol-wise, I think they could have pushed it a little to get him back. It kind of makes me think maybe he has some symptoms that he's dealing with. And they were just like, hey, we're not going to rush you back with this at all. Because he did miss time before the positive test because he said he didn't feel well. Right? So then he gets a positive test. Like, I know a lot of these guys are, like, asymptomatic or very Mm -hmm. minor symptoms. But he did miss, you know, Lee. They sent him home right away. Very smart, right, when he he came down ill. But then uh, the positive test, and then now right away this week, we're missing this weekend. It makes me think maybe he's having some symptoms with it or or maybe a little bit harder time than some other guys with the – coronavirus you know i didn't think about that but i I guess my assumption was just that the franchise was being super transparent and careful which i i I like and admire that as well but you're you're probably right because i mean if you look at the vikings they're dealing with adam thielen they haven't announced him out and he he has COVID, correct Uh, he he is a he is a trace uh, I think I think hey, he is a trace situation. And then I know the guys in but guys in Baltimore are positive. Nine so, people in in Baltimore are positive. Five players, four coaches. So he has to miss. Garrett has to miss two games from the day he's diagnosed. He the day he has test positive from COVID, right? So we know, uh, we, know we already knew that he was going to miss those two games, correct? Because if it's contact tracing, that's when you can bounce on and off. But he, Miles Garrett has COVID. He, so. he tested positive on Wednesday. My understanding is it's 10 days from when you first show symptoms, 72 hours from when you stop showing symptoms after the 10 days. So you're looking at like, yeah, I guess he was going to miss anyways. 
That's right? what my thought. That's what my thought process was. That's what I thought. Because it's, it's close. Tracing. It's close. It's yes. close. I, I guess they could have pushed it. Um, I'm trying to think. It's like thir- I guess that would have been 13 days. Ideally, uh, is your fastest turnaround, maybe, uh, well, for that have, scenario. I feel like there's been. I know Nick Saban is in college, so it's completely different. But I, feel, I thought there were yeah. other players who got had a positive test, and then they were keep they were continuously testing, and then when they tested negative, they didn't have to go the whole 14 days or whatever it is. So I, I you okay. would think that the Browns would do that, where they're trying to wait it out, test them again, and see what you know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they're just going to be trans. They're just going to be super careful about it, which is which is great, I suppose. You might be right. You might be right. And, and either way, then he misses this game, and and let's hopefully have him back for Tennessee, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which let's hope, right? Uh, so, with that in mind, and looking at this defense, Ronnie Harrison is day to day. Okay, yeah. so he got dinged. It doesn't appear to be serious, but day to day, we don't know. He could miss, right? It feels um, like he's been day to day the last three weeks, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? it, it he's does. Always, he's it always day to day or probable or question, right? The last time I think he had a concussion, we actually last time he missed a game. But other than yes, he's been a little bit banged up. Yeah, it, he did uh, have an MRI done though after the game, so something oh, that happened. Right? Yes, so didn't know that. Yeah, so he is day to day, and then uh, so we're looking at. Definitely Ward and definitely Garrett. Um, other than that, they came away unscathed. Those are the two best players on your defense, though. Uh, and the defense played great, I thought, on Sunday. In the rain, you could throw it. I mean, let's be real that Wentz has turned into something. He is an enigma. I don't know what is going on with Carson Wentz, but he is not the quarterback that he was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I guess the ultimate question is, is this the... Uh, anomaly or was that the anomaly right uh <laughs> was his good year the you know what i mean the the you know the exception or is this the exception and eventually he's going to be good again that's what they're trying to figure out in philadelphia i suppose he is it, to me i watch him play and you tell me what you see but his base is so wide like he's so wide like and that's like a bad sign for quarterbacks. If you're wide and you're striding long, your ball is going to be long. It's going to be off. And that's his footwork is just all over the place. And and you can understand a little bit. They give up a ton of pressure to the Browns' defensive line without Garrett. I mean, have a day, yeah. OV, right? Have yeah. a day, Vernon. And that's out of nowhere. So, uh, I don't know. So I thought they played well. Um, I asked Dougley Maurice on the last show about the Texans game, and I said, how much of it was it weather? How much of it was his defense? And he goes, can I say 96% weather? And I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, okay, all right, I get I get what you're saying, but I was hoping for more. I thought the defense yeah. looked better than that, and then I thought they proved themselves this week. What do you think about the defense? How much of it has been a slop? It's been mucked up, and they've been able to play better that way? Or how much of it was maybe Joe Woods made some schematic moves at the at the break, uh, the bye week, the self-scout week, and they've been playing better as a whole? I think they look great. I, I I've The Eagles game, I have been – the last time I was disimpressed with the Cleveland Browns win was when they beat the Colts. 
I, I was thoroughly – I came away thoroughly impressed with this win. Not only did they win, but they also beat the spread, which I know has nothing to do with wins and losses, but it is kind of an indicator of expectations. And they, the Browns, even though they've been squeaking out these wins, they haven't been beating the spread, right? They've been squeaking by. This one was yeah. a dominant performance in and out. Uh, you know, I, I think that the whole defense stepped up as a whole with Garrett out. You know, and we could talk about the mud and the slipping and the slopping, but Jason Peters is a Hall of Fame left tackle, right? I mean, that's what they said in the broadcast, 85. No question. And Olivier Vernon worked him like a drum. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I, I just I, – I, I want to give him credit. He got three sacks. You're going to say he's got three sacks because of the mud? No, no way. I'm No, no. no. Vincent Taylor, and the you know, the undrafted guy that they, they picked up, his, he played. He played his ass off. He had. He played with high energy. Um, you know, a lot. All those guys. The, everybody in the defensive line played really well. Seeing Taki Taki was all over the field. I know that that pick was a little bit of a. I, it, <laughs> that was it awesome. Was it was an awesome play. play. Yeah, but hey, hey, I was six, right. I was surprised how his ball skills were terrific. I mean, he kind of right? caught that. Like he was like, whoop! Like, hey, man, I you know, like no big deal. I was. I was worried about Taki Taki catching the ball a little there for a minute, but but he caught that thing fluidly and took that thing right in like he'd been there before. And before and I know he, he, still all over he the has field. it. He was still all over the field. Oh, oh yeah. It was better Very games. high PFF grade for Taki Taki, yeah. Ward, uh, a lot of those guys. Um, the ones that struggled PFF-wise, and this was also on my stat sheet here, Red Wine had a terrible day. Jed Will's worst day as a pro they wrote up. I don't know what you want to say about that. Uh, they, they, they're they hard on him when it comes to run blocking. You know, they get, they're get they pretty hard on him at PFF on the run blocking. Uh, but those were the two that, that, that kind of jumped out to me on the scores. Red Wine was bad and, uh, and missed that assignment on the touchdown. Yes. Um, and uh, Jedrick Will's had his, I guess, according to somebody over at PFF, his worst day as a pro. So you're gonna I mean red red one you already you already know. I mean that guy's not supposed to be on the field, right? I mean, right. Tell right. supposed to be there. There's the red line's playing basically by default. I don't think he's gonna be a fringe roster guy. And he played like a fringe roster guy. I thought that they reached for him when they drafted him in the fifth round and he's played like you're reaching the fifth round. He's had he's had spots. I feel like he's a pretty decent athlete. He's in the right place sometimes, but he's in he's in the wrong place way more often. So that doesn't surprise me. Jeshrick Wills, I don't really know where they're why they're rating him so low. I thought he played really well. Um, you know, the Eagles do have a pretty good defensive line. I felt like he felt like he kept them at bay. Uh, I don't really know what more they wanted. I don't. I know he's not a big road grader like Wyatt Teller, Joel Batonio. Those guys are body bagging people. Jeffrey Wills doesn't really do that. But at the same time, that's just kind of his style. He doesn't. That's not really what he does. He's more of a. He's more of a. I'm going to get your way rather than I'm going to put you in the dirt kind of tackle. Yeah, he's just a. He's a much better pass blocker than he is run blocker at this point in his career. So, and and I fully expect that to come. Yeah, it's just that you know. He Sometimes didn't play he struggles. No, no. Know. It wasn't like he was missing blocks every play. I thought Jason Peters, if I'm rating the two left tackles, Jason Peters played way worse than Jedrick Wills. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, uh, well, I guess Baker got sacked three times, right? So but They weren't all three on Wills. No, 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 no. I'm not yeah. saying that. I was just kind of trying to think back on that real quick. Okay, so let's talk real quick then. No Ward, okay, no Garrett. So same thing up front. 
Uh, Elliott had a really good game, caused a fumble inside the 10-yard line. Uh, The rookie, uh, Jordan Elliott, so very good on him on the interior. He had a high grade as well. Uh, Limited downs he's playing, but he seems to be playing well when he's in. Um, So he'll fill in there nicely, and, and they'll use Gustin. And uh, and um, like they did Claiborne again to fill in for Garrett. Now, Ward's out. Here we go. This is where it gets a little tricky, right? So they're going to go... Because Jaguars have some wide receivers still. I mean, they got DJ Shark and... Who's there? He's, who very, else he's very good. Shark's very yeah, good. Shark is great. They have, they have D.D. Westbrook out there still. Uh, Westbrook, Shark's yeah. the guy. Shark's the guy that's because yeah. because before Denzel Ward was going to blank him, and it was going to be game yep. over with him out. It yeah. changes the game. Yeah. So you got Money Mitch on one side, right? Yep. And then you're going to have Kevin Johnson kick outside on the other side. And once again, it's either going to be Tavier Thomas or MJ Stewart. So far, or at least early in the season when this was a dilemma, it was Tavier Thomas more often than not. Now, yeah. Tavier Thomas is a special teams player, period, in my book. They should have more depth at that position. I think that, that they shouldn't have to play Tavier Thomas in the slot. I don't trust MJ Stewart either. He's slow. He's short. I mean, he's okay and around the line of scrimmage, he plays the run better than he probably does coverage, in my opinion. He's almost a safety in a... I don't understand why they didn't move him to safety earlier. I think he could play safety even, but uh, but it, he, he's slow and short, and he can't really cover that well. I, I don't know. I there Either one is going to hurt you. Now, Tavier Thomas did play a little bit better in, like, the third game. I think he played at the beginning... He plays the run well because he'll come up and hit somebody, but he just he just can't cover. Um, yeah, that's the it's a problem area. It's a yeah. real problem area when you're yeah. running both corner. Neither one of them can cover real well, and and they're going to be forced into action. I think. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think that those are going to be the starting three. Kevin Johnson. I, I have my reservations about him as well. He plays really well in the slot, has played really well in the slot the last couple of years, kind of resurrected uh, what he was yeah. doing with, with, the, with the Texans. Um, but, you know, when he first got drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, he when they initially put him on the outside and he got beat like a drum. He so, was bad, yeah. So I don't know if you want to keep him on the inside where you know he's competent and then maybe move Tavier Thomas to the outside. But Tavier Thomas is probably – Another world terrible. He's flat out bad. He's flat out bad. We talked about Sheldrick Redwine being a fringe roster guy. Tavier Thomas is a guy where I don't know how he's in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, like you said, based purely on the special teams, that's why he's there. MJ Stewart was a guy I really liked coming out of North Carolina. I gave him a relatively high grade. He plays very aggressive. He's very physical at the line of scrimmage. Maybe that's a guy you want to give a shot. He, but, again, he's, he's a guy that played well in the slot because he can bully smaller receivers because he was so physical. He's pretty long. He actually is pretty long. I know he doesn't have the long speed, so it would be kind of questionable having him on the outside. But I think that maybe if you want Kevin Johnson on the outside and then try to see what MJ Stewart can do on the inside, maybe bring him some of those blitz packages like you were with Ward. Um, he, he's a very physical player, so I, I think that maybe he does deserve a little bit of a longer look. Robert Jackson's another guy that I think he was getting 
a lot of snaps early on in the season. Um, but he's another guy who's kind of just hanging by the edge as far as on this roster. So I, I would really I would give MJ Stewart a longer look. I really would. Tavier Thomas is bad. We know he's bad. MJ Stewart's got he's got a little bit of ability to him. He was shut down at North Carolina. I would I would prefer him over Tavier Thomas to be honest. Um, so, but they went they just went the other way most of the time. I mean, they worked yeah. MJ Stewart in like maybe like three snaps on one week and four uh-huh. on another. So, so we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I know they put out a uh, um, a depth chart for this week uh, today and. Um, I don't think you can take anything away from what they put on that as far as, you know, because basically it says that Ward's still in, right? So it's really hard to determine anything from that. Uh, I think we won't know until Sunday what their game plan is there. I think Uh, you nailed it, though. I I do think that they're going to lean towards Tavier Thomas because that's just, I mean, based on, on the snaps that they've received between the two, it's been Thomas. So yeah, that's a fair assumption. So let's uh, let's do this, okay? I want to look at the playoff picture a little, and I want to take an assessment of where the Browns are in compared to some of these teams. So let's do this here. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Come on, Mikey, get it together. You know, I do want to add to uh, the Denzel Ward. Thing. So, what? What? Who do you view as the bigger loss, Miles Garrett or Denzel Ward? I mean, I would have said I would have said Miles um, Garrett until, I mean, Ward has just been playing so good. It's like I feel like they can. They have more depth at defensive line than they do in the secondary. So probably Ward. I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that sentiment a lot. Um, I was speaking with someone who's pretty involved with gambling, much more than, than me, and uh, they were. He was saying that Miles Garrett's one of the few players in the entire NFL, not just on the defensive side of the ball, that's actually worth the whole point as far as the point spread and, uh, and the swing of things, which I thought was a very interesting topic. Um, Denzel Ward is really? not. Denzel Ward is not, which I thought was weird, but again, you know, throughout the grand landscape of the the NFL, and he is the running mate for defensive player of the year. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So, so here I've got, I I went ahead and brought up CBS's power rankings this week. Okay. So I try to do this like every couple weeks and, or every, at some point every week. And I, and I try to bring up a different one every time. Right. Yeah. So I got the, uh, the power rankings here and, and the Browns made a nice jump up three spots in their power rankings to a, to 11, okay? Mm-hmm. But I want to take a look here and talk about some of these teams that they're vying with uh, for playoff uh, spots. And let's start at the top. So they got Pittsburgh as one, okay? Uh, and they've got Kansas City, too. When I look around the NFL... Uh, I, I go that I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, and I still would have them won in, in a power rankings, despite the Steelers 10-0 record. Where do you come out on that? I, I mean, I would have the Steelers higher just purely based on them being undefeated, but you're right. Okay. I mean, you, it could go either way, and I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, yeah. I just think until... Mahomes is uh, until they show like some kind of real weakness. Um, I I don't know because 
Because I don't, the Steelers are far, they have a, like, and you, Tomlin's been saying this, you know, they have a perfect record, they're far from mm-hmm. a perfect team. And they are, because they, they have issues, they have issues here and there that show up. Uh, their offense can get stagnant, their defense is extremely good, overpowering. Uh, but their offense can get stagnant, and it's almost like Big Ben works through it and usually works through it just in time to make the play that he needs to make to, you know, to win the game. And uh, and that's just kind of how I view that. What are your takeaways on the Steelers? I mean, are they beatable? What Where, where do you come out on on them? Are, I mean, are they going to run the table here? What's going on? They play, they get there, they got the Ravens on Thursday night. I, I don't think they're going to run the table. I actually put money on the Ravens. Uh, I know that, granted they're getting four and a half points, but I don't think the Steelers are going to run the table. That's just that's to me that's insane. I do think that they are as close to the full package as you can possibly get. Their defense is better than the Chiefs. Their offense isn't as explosive as the Chiefs, but it's still very good through the air. I mean, Chase Claypool has shown to be every bit the athlete that they thought he was going to be. Uh, De- uh, Deontay Johnson, their other wide receivers, very good. Juju Smith-Schuster still very good. Ben Rosper is playing at an MVP level. I mean, he just is. I hate to say it, but he is. The only part of the offense that is lacking is the run game. And James Conner is not terrible. He's just not explosive. He's just a very average plotter. So, I, I mean, with that offense, and they're on the, the defensive side of the ball, I don't really need to go into detail there. You know how explosive they are. Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, uh, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick. They're stars at all three levels there, and they make an impact. So I, I really do think that the Steelers are I, – I, I think that – they really have to fall off a cliff or some, some terrible, something terrible has to happen for them to not win the AFC North or get a, you know, I guess. Yeah. win the AFC North, I guess. You, you got them winning on Thursday night. I mean, especially now you got to look at, I mean, the, the Ravens lost some significant firepower here for Thursday night's game. Dobbins and Ingram, Ingram, not so much mattering. I guess he only, he only played like four plays the other night, but um, they've moved away from him a lot to Dobbins as their primary back in Gus Edwards, but Gus Edwards can still tote the rock. Uh, the problem there is going to be like Brandon Williams, who's like their main run stuffer, right? Yeah. Uh, Calais Campbell out. Uh, and, and, and since he's been out, They've gotten bullied a little bit. Uh, tw- two weeks in a row, they got out physical. I think the Ravens did, which is n- hardly ever happens. Um, so we'll we'll get to them. Uh, thoughts on the Ravens, but if we look here at number four on CBS's uh, power rankings, uh, they've got the Colts all the way up at fourth in the NFL. What the? <laughs> Are you serious? Are you serious with this? Okay, so I I got an article and I was get, and I commented on it earlier. I tweeted about it because it's it's from the big lead, okay? And I found this today, and it's why the Browns are the worst seven and three team basically in football. Wow! And it, yeah, and that one of the reasons they give. Uh, or one of the examples they give of a team that's better seven and three team than them is the Colts. And I'm going, they beat the freaking Colts head to head. First of all, second of all, 
the other reason, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't really much of the game. The Browns destroyed them. Right, right, and uh, and then their other reason that they give in here is that in the last three weeks, uh, they've scored like no points basically. Their offensive output is terrible and not not impressive, and this and that and the other, and that basically, uh, oh, they gave up thirty four points to a two and seven and one Bengals team, and these are the reasons cited. Um, I call bullshit on it. I did, uh, and and I did on Twitter, but uh, you can check it out. It's at the big lead, and it's. Uh, the Cleveland Browns record is deceiving. Seven and three record is deceiving, but he calls in here that the Browns might be seven and three, but they are by far the worst team to hold that record at this point in the season. So there's that. I mean, and so, <laughs> uh, and that is, uh, and so I. Those were the two points I had. The Colts are fourth on on our uh, power rankings here, but. Well, I mean, the, no, the Browns are eleventh, and they beat them head to head. Explain that to me. So, are they still are they the highest ranked seven three team on this list? Uh, let's take a look here. Yes, so ten and zero Steelers, nine and one Chiefs, eight and two Saints, and the highest ranked seven and three team on these power rankings is the Colts. Uh, which okay, you can make the case that they weren't at full strength. But I don't really buy that. The Browns were a little bit dominant, in my in my opinion, against them and beat them at their own game, uh, right? Like, what they want to do is out-physical you, and the Browns out-physical them. Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I'm kind of shocked by this as well, you know, I, I, because the Colts' run offense, rushing offense, isn't very good. They drafted Jonathan Taylor in the second round. He's kind of been lackluster. Jordan Wilkins isn't very good, was never very good. Marlon Max hurt. The rushing offense has never really taken off. Phillip Rivers is pretty unathletic, so he throws it up. The only thing that's really evolved about the Colts' offense is Michael Pittman, the rookie from USC. He's really kind yes. of – He's developed very nicely, and he is a threat. Yes. And I do think that that makes their offense scarier than when the Browns played them. But to have them as the highest-ranked seventy-three team, I think, is a little ridiculous. Um, their mm-hmm. defense is good, but they're not the Steelers. So mm-hmm. I again, I think you can make an argument if you say, if you want to tell me that the Colts are the best team, the seventy-three team. I'm not going to call you insane. Um, but the, that one article that you read about the Browns being the worst 73 team and being that passionate about that, that is insane. I, I don't think you can talk about the Colts being, I don't, I don't, I think the gap between the Colts and the Browns is very, 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 very small. And I would make the argument that the Browns are better than the Colts based on the fact that they, you know, owned them. Beat them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like a fluke by any no, means. Um, not at all. Not at all. The Colts no. started coming back a little bit in the second half because Baker kind of fell off a cliff. But in that first half, the Colts were pretty much dead in the water. So since then, though, the Colts have gotten hot, obviously, and have some impressive wins. So this is why they are up here. Uh, they caught Tennessee, right, in their uh, division and beat them and then uh, beat the Packers, which shocked me. Uh, very much so uh, this weekend in a close one, but they, they edged out the Packers. So they are up eight spots on this on this rankings. The Packers are five. They're seven and three. 
The Rams are six. They're seven and three. Uh, I thought the Rams looked exceptional the past couple weeks. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Aaron Donald's pretty much unstoppable. Jared Goff has definitely proven to be worth every penny that they've gave, given him. Uh, their receiving core is good with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. It's it's a pretty dominating team. They look they look very good. Bills are seven and three. They're going to win that division, so that doesn't really matter in our scheme of things here, right? For the AFC, uh, the Titans though are seven and three, uh, tied with the Colts mm-hmm. um, at the top of that division. We get them after Jacksonville uh, should be eight and three, um, and then. You know, they still have another game with the Colts, I believe. So some of this stuff should get hashed out just in divisional play, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and some teams are going to lose just in, in in that manner. So they've got us at 11. <clears throat> and then so I want to talk to you about Tennessee at 9. And then they've got the Ravens all the way down to 12 below us at 6 and 4. Thoughts on what you've seen from the Ravens recently? Uh, what's their issue right now? Um, them losing, you know, them losing some games here, uh, you know, to get to six and four, a bit surprising. But still, um, they, they're they a very good football team. And, uh, I mean, the Browns got smoked by them week one, which I don't mm-hmm. – I kind of throw out the window because it was week one in a no preseason season. But I think reality has the Browns somewhere closer to the Ravens. I don't know how close, though. What do you think about uh, where the Browns stand with the Ravens? Can they play with them in a game? When they, when they face on Monday Night Football – just because the Browns, if they handle their business against Jacksonville, even if they lose to Tennessee, they have the opportunity to beat them on Monday Night Football at home and pretty much set themselves up to be the second-place team in the AFC North and get in if they were to win that game. I mean, that game is going to be huge, absolutely gigantic, no matter which way you cut it. Uh, where are you at with the Browns and the Ravens and where the Ravens are at right now? I think they are close. I think that the Steelers are, are the top of the class as far as AFC North goes, and the Browns are, right, are pretty close to usurping the Ravens in that second spot. But with that said, I don't. if you're asking me to predict the future, I think that the Browns the, beat the Browns in two weeks. Uh, I do think that the Ravens are – Lamar Jackson feasts on undisciplined linebackers, and the Browns, that's all they have at linebacker is a bunch of undisciplined guys back there. So I think that that's kind of a gimme. I think that the reason you're seeing the Ravens kind of slack is because their offense has been stagnant. Um, they run you know, five plays. Their offensive playbook is like a Madden playbook. It's not very big, and they just are very efficient, and they have played well-disciplined assignment football. But people are kind of catching up to what Lamar's doing. Now, Lamar's great. I think he's going to get out of this funk. I think it could happen this week against the Steelers when they're on the short week because I do think you have to have a full week's prep for Lamar Jackson. So I think we could see him burst out this week despite not having Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. But that's just the kind of quarterback he is. So if you're asking me who's going to win in two weeks, the Ravens or the Browns, I'm taking the Ravens, unfortunately. He has had – it's hard to identify whether the problem is – 
Lamar th- throwing outside the numbers or the receivers getting open outside the numbers, right? But there is some stark statistics that tell a story that they cannot throw the ball outside the numbers at all. And if you can force them to do that, you're in really good shape. Um, So they're still the best run game probably in the NFL. But if you can force them to do that, I think that you open up a weakness and and they have really struggled in the past game. And and they, because they just, there's only so much you can do. And at some point, no matter what, at, at any time a team is good, any time a team is good, and they're doing one thing for successful for so long, you know this is true. The NFL starts to figure you out. Absolutely. They always do. And I think that might be happening a little bit with the Ravens right now. So as far as the Browns go, you know, Breaking down what has worked the last few weeks against them will be absolutely key for that Monday night game. Yeah, Craig Roman is the OC there, and he doesn't do a very good job of self-evaluating himself. Um, He did the same thing at the Niners when the Niners kind of fell off. Um, Granted, there was a lot of other factors going there too, but he just doesn't really do a good job of of adjusting his game plan as they go. We've seen Kevin Stefanski change how the offense of Cleveland works based off of who he has in there that's healthy and blah, 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 Baker, blah, 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 blah. He's adjusted. It's not the same team it was five weeks ago. The Ravens are the exact same team. They're in the exact same plays, the exact same tendencies that they did five weeks ago. And that's not a good thing in the NFL. you got to kind of always be evolving. I do think it's more of uh, the outside issue. That's a, a product of the receivers. I mean, when your second-best receiver is Willie Sneed, who was cut yeah. from when Cleveland was in you know, the butthole of the division, yep. that's an issue. You know, Marquise Brown is really your only threat outside the numbers. That Their offense doesn't rely on that. It's dink, if, When their passing game is dink it to Mark Andrews, 45 times, and then hope that when all everybody moves up to guard the tight end, you can throw it over the top to Marquise Brown. Maybe that's something they look for to adjust in the offseason, but it's too late for that this season. They, they got no outside threats. Yeah, they they definitely need to add weapons there uh, in their offseason. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, and then only the other two teams here – that linger well i'll make it i'll call it three okay in the afc and i'll get your opinion on this uh raiders at 13 here in cbs's power rankings the dolphins at 14 cardinals 15 vikings 16 i don't don't know about that and then the patriots at 17 are the patriots at four and six are you calling them done are they cooked or do you still think they linger I'm never going to call Bill Belichick coach team cooked. There's all there's okay. always yes, they're in every game. They're in every game. They, I mean, the, the Houston eh. game was weird. They shouldn't have lost that game. I actually had money on the Patriots that week, but I mean, it was kind of a fluke. I mean, I just I, I I'm never going to call Bill Belichick coach team done. They're they're four and six. I think with the number of seven and three, six and four teams you have, they have to win out to have a chance. Would they got to turn agree it on. With that? Cam Newton has got to find his way. He's had, he's shown flashes of old Cam, but dude, that guy's just there. He's got that's see that's a guy who's lost part of his ability and he's not adjusting his game to it. He still thinks he's old Cam, pre-injury Cam who can stiff arm three defensive tackles and still throw throw it through the needle. 
50 yards down the field. That's not who he is anymore. He's got to adjust that, and he's really, really struggling to do it. He's not understanding that life has passed him by a little bit. I would agree. I, I would agree. They they um, they lack weapons as well, though. They oh, yeah. really do. Jacoby uh, Myers is a good player, uh, they, but they don't get a lot of separation out there on, on the outside. Their wide receivers struggle, too. The Dolphins now, uh, you know, the Dolphins, everybody picked the Dolphins this week to go into Denver and win. Yeah. They didn't. And Tua gets pulled after all this. And I'm looking at the Dolphins like, holy crap, they're, they're going to take one of these spots. Um, they go out there and get beat, and Tua gets pulled. Are, are they out now because they're just not ready yet or what? Uh, I mean, Fitz Magic, Fitz... Fitz tragic which one's it gonna be is it is it is it them or is it Tua what what I don't know what they're gonna do next uh starting wise but they feel like they may be fading now like maybe they were a flash in the pan here for a minute or do you think they're in this this for the long haul here to try to get in one of these spots I think Brian Forrest is a great coach I think he should be I do too Mike Tomlin, coach of the year, because he's undefeated at this point, and Brian Flores is right behind him. I think that they're a good version of the Jaguars. I think that their expectations were low, and they don't expect anything, and they're wanting to dip their toe in the Tua water. And I think they did a good thing by pulling Tua. You don't want a Joe Burrow situation. I think he was sacked three times that day. So, you know, you know you're not going to win. Pull him. There's you got nothing left to lose. You're not going to hurt his confidence because he knows he's the guy. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect quarterback to put in there. He's kind of like that. He's got that Josh McCown attitude where, he, hey, I'll, hey, I'll clean it up for you, buddy goes in there, and then he knows his place on the bench for the next week. I, I, I think that the Dolphins are just a good version of the Jaguars. I don't put any stock in them. I don't. I, I think if they slip into the playoffs, which I don't think they will, they're not going to make any noise. They're just not ready yet. They're just a well-coached team with some young talent that's doing something positive. Okay. Okay. Uh, I Yeah, I don't think they get in, in my opinion. Um, I think they fade a little bit here, mm-hmm. but – uh, I, it's interesting that you said you have your coach of the year is Mike Tomlin, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it would be Brian Flores because of the job he's done with such a terrible roster. But I mean, how it's if Mike Tomlin goes when does keeps on track? He, obviously, he's not going to go undefeated. But if he only loses two games, it's kind of hard to disagree with that, right? Um, I guess. I think you can make a case for Kevin Stefanski. Really? I really I really do. Uh, I mean, look at the Browns last year. Look at the Browns for the last 20 years. This is a guy that came in and did this on a year that he had no time, nothing, brand new, uh, no preseason. All I mean, what he's done is nothing short of remarkable, in my opinion, with the Browns. I think that that's a fair analysis and i think it's accurate i don't think the media is going to view it that way i think they're going to look at the browns and they're going to see obj they're going to see the number one pick baker they're going to see two pro bowl running backs they're going to see jarvis landry miles garrett they're going to see that star power and think that this you know think that a very average even a below average coach could get them to seven eight wins if that makes sense I think when you look at the Dolphins, I think you got two extremes. The Steelers are going to be so good record-wise that you have to say, okay, well, they're, 
he Tom was done a good job there. And the Dolphins are so terrible skill wise that you have to say, oh, well, he's done a great job there raising the talent level. The Browns are kind of stuck in the middle where it's like, I don't know if they're going to get the recognition that I don't know if Stefanski is going to get the recognition he deserves because of the talent and the expectations that have been floating around Cleveland for the last three years. It's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. The The reason I don't think of it, I haven't thought of it that way, I think, Josh, is because of the way they've been winning with the run oh, yeah. game. Like, they haven't won that way at all. It hasn't been because of their flashy talent. It's just begin, been because they're a tough, physical mm-hmm. football team. And a lot of what Stefanski does is the reason they win. Like, he shows patience beyond his years in the, with the run game. There are not a oh, lot yeah. of coaches that can be as patient and and is like he's trying this. He's going to try this scheme. He's going to try that scheme. He's going to test his – like he was talking about, you know, they weren't getting anything in the run game uh, early, but he was going to test out – Till it worked, and, and then you get Chubb with, uh, you know, 20, 20 rushes for, you know, over 100 yards. And uh, just because and, – and that that's difficult. I mean, that's good coaching. And every week – and I said this at the beginning of the season, Josh. I watched the Browns' first game, and they got killed, right? And obviously I was pissed. And then <laughs> – and then – and then I watched the Giants play in a primetime game, and they played a close game against somebody that they really didn't have business playing a close game against. It was week one, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I went on my show and I said, the Giants were in this game because they had a good game plan and they uh, were organized and they didn't commit penalties and they didn't do this and they – but they had no business beating this team, but they were in this game till the end because of it. That's what I want from a head coach, somebody that's going to put together a game plan that's going to have you in a game every week with a chance to win, da 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 And then since I said that, he's done, he's done that every week. He's done that every week with the exception of Pittsburgh, I would say. Yeah, and he definitely doesn't get enough credit for – I don't want to call it innovative because running the ball isn't innovative, but he doesn't get enough credit for going against the grain in the NFL. In a day and age where we're seeing high – you know, quarterbacks throwing at 60 times a game and, and everything's so focused on the pass, he's got these two running backs that the entire offense focuses around. And like you said, he doesn't slow up. Going into the halftime, they had 18 carries for 13 yards. And he, he was just he stuck to that old school mentality. We're gonna wear them down. Eventually it's gonna pop. Eventually it's gonna pop. And it's worked, and it's worked on a consistent basis. And I think it takes some pretty big cojones to go against the grain like that. And I mean, in three years, we might be looking at the Browns having the two highest paid running backs in the NFL. And I think that that's realistic. And it's it's it might be it might be the way Stefanski may be on the cutting edge of reversing the course of the NFL. And I don't know if we're, we're really grasping that yet because it is, you know, we talk about a guy that spent, a, he spent money on the offensive line, the tight ends and the running backs. OBJ and Jarvis Landry were not his deal. They were, they were not his, him and his regime's deal. He brought in the tight ends, the running backs and the offensive line. And I, I you know, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for going, tipping the scales back to that old school, shove it down their throat offense yeah i wouldn't say innovative either but he does he does do some things that are you know 
he he's he is innovative in his own way, you know, in his own style, you know. Uh, the rollouts, the play action, uh, you know, that's that's why I'm interested to see this Jaguars game is because we haven't seen that pass game where they got a chance yeah. to say, hey, there's a tendency we're doing this too much. It's obvious when we're going to run this, you know what I mean? Or, or it's obviously when we're in this formation, we're going to run the ball here or whatever. And those tendencies seem to come out when you do the self-scout bye week. And I want to see their adjustments in the pass game when the weather is halfway decent so you can throw the ball down the field. It, it'll be so, interesting to see, yeah. to see what he does cuz I still think it's I just think that's how he is. It's it's a run it's a run based offense. And I think with defenses with the NFL so focused on the passing game, you're seeing NFL defenses getting smaller and faster. So it might be time where you know you could take a guy like Nick Chubb and Wyatt Teller and just grind it out and take advantage of those small guys. I mean Nick Chubb stiffed on who did he who did he stiff farm last week? It was a linebacker. It was a linebacker Uh-oh. stiff farm. I, I don't was, know, but he almost killed him. It, it was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean he almost I don't know his name. Uh I, he he might have been an, even a defensive end. A linebacker or somebody, uh, but he almost killed him. It was crazy. Yeah, that, that is the I, I think I got it here. Uh but I mean it, that was ridiculous. Uh absolutely absurd here. Maybe that's uh, the new norm. Maybe Stefanski seeing the writing on the wall that he can exploit that. I don't know. I don't, again, I don't, and I don't know the heights and weights of you know all the linebackers and defensive backs across the board. <laughs> but you know, you've been following the draft as much as I have, where you know you're seeing these athletics, smaller linebackers, or, or you know guys like Isaiah Simmons or Deion Buchanan getting taken more and more, uh, and less of the I, I'm going to fill the whole tough Borland type linebackers, and maybe Stefanski's just hitting it hitting his stride earlier and sees the right on the wall that he can exploit some of that stuff. I mean, because Wyatt Teller, one of the reasons why Buffalo bounced him was because his inefficiency as a pass blocker. That dude was always a road grader, I'm going to bear you kind of lineman. And he fits perfectly in Cleveland. He's a Pro Bowl player. Uh, there we were. I, I had uh, – where do you um, – I feel like a fool right now. Where do you, you, where do you find your bookmarks on here? Oh my gosh! Can you see what I'm doing on the screen? No, no, no. Okay. Oh, well, that's that's lucky for me because who knows what I'm doing right now. Anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, anyways, yeah. I mean, good stuff. Uh, I you know I just feel like uh, oh here here we go. we got some good stuff here. Here we got. We got some good stuff. I'm gonna play here. Sorry for the podcast right now. I, I can always forget that you know there's gonna be the podcast version of the show. I apologize to podcast listeners out there where you don't get to view what's happening anymore. It's even more the reason to go to uh, YouTube and subscribe. Make sure if you are listening on uh, live right now or or via playback uh, that you. Uh, Subscribe, hit the subscribe uh, button below, hit the like button, and uh, hit the little notification bell. So it'll always tell you when we are, uh, when we're live uh, on the air here at uh, All Eyes on Cleveland. So let let me see if I could do this properly and show this uh, beautiful gem of a stiff arm here. Are we seeing it? Killed him. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's Alex Singleton. 
Who's alive? Boom. Boom. I believe he's the linebacker that was uh, that they picked up out of the CFL. Which is funny because the year he won the Grey Cup MVP trophy, which was a couple years ago, I wanted the Browns to pick him up, and the Eagles end up snatching him. He's been a starter ever since, which is pretty rare for a guy coming out of the CFL. I mean, look at that. Other than that, he had a pretty decent game, though. He looks like a – I mean, he took the gloves off. He just looks so old school right there, right? Just at the neck. Like, what do you think that guy's thinking? Like, he's coming in for the tackle like, I got him. Nope. He's embarrassed. He's getting up. He's embarrassed. See, that – when you get beat like that, it's embarrassing. It it drains you mentally and it drains you physically. When you get beat on the long pass or something, it doesn't really have that same effect. It just it just doesn't. I mean, he's getting Nick Chubb basically said, "I'm a bigger, stronger, better man than you." Get on the ground. That's just defeating. Well, Hodge Jackson Hodge three catches for seventy three yards. Uh, big game from him. Yeah, played really well. Playing the air guitar. Do you know what that's all about at all? No, I noticed that they keep doing it though. The, he keeps doing it. Yeah, the uh, the air guitar. Not sure there. And then, uh, 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 uh. crazy. Wyatt Teller blocking three guys. Yep. He's a beast, man. He's an absolute animal. He 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 is the dude. Op- look at look at the end of it. Where he just one hand this dude out of get out. <laughs> Look at twenty three. Look at twenty three. Gets just one arm a teller tossed. I mean, he isn't. He is. He is something else, man. He was like that at Virginia Tech. He, he was like that at Virginia Tech. You can find it in the Browns Wire where I wrote about how he was a hidden gem when the Browns got him. I knew he just. He was like that at Virginia Tech. Just a big road grader. I'm gonna put you in the dirt. And this offense thrives on that. I think you can expect that when you're looking for linemen in the offseason from now on. Is guys that are off the line that want to put you in the dirt. I think so, yeah, I do too. So that's the that's that's that stuff I want to do. Uh, just uh, talk about uh, that here real quick. Now, okay, so we got uh, uh, here to finish up here, and I, I want to ask you this question here before I let you go. And I've, I've been asking this question, and it's a way too early to ask this question to anybody, okay? But knowing what you know about Contracts. Okay, we'll oh, start geez. with this. We'll, okay, we'll start with this. Ogan Joby, free agency. Are you paying him or not? Because here's here's. I think we may have talked about this before. If he sees the free agent market, somebody else is going to overpay for him. Yeah. And he's not coming back. So if you want to keep him, you got to pay him in the next couple weeks. And I don't think they're going to do it because I think that they think uh, with Billings coming back off of the COVID uh, opt-out and Jordan Elliott is a natural progression to his position. Thoughts? So you're saying you wouldn't resign him? I'm not saying what I would do. I think I would resign him because he's, because of he's part of this culture like he was there when they lost and he's there when they won and but like he doesn't show up every week 
you know, he's very inconsistent right now. And that's my concern. I love, I love Ogunjobi. I, I really am a big fan, and I was hoping that they could, he could justify like the, his signing. I would like to think they could keep him, Josh, but I don't think that Barry and D Podesta and them will keep him because there's other too many other places to spend the money. So I, I don't know what the contract breakdowns would be. Based off, of, I know there's you know a lot that goes into a per- percentage yes. composition and, and, and all that. But if you're just asking me, hey, you got an opportunity to sign this guy? It's a reasonable contract. What are you going to do? I'm signing him. Ogunjobi, I, I understand he's kind of a Cleveland fan favorite. When you talk to people that aren't associated with the Browns, they don't like him at all. He's always consistently on the low end of PFF grades. You know, there are plays where he just doesn't show up. He, there are plays where he gets pushed around pretty at an embarrassing amount. With that said, when he does show up, he's explosive. He's in your face. He's in, he can be very good. I think he would be a very good, like, like you said, as far as this unit goes, Sheldon Richardson, Andrew Billings, Jordan Elliott is getting a little bit, a little bit better. You sprinkle some Ogunjobi in there. I think that you get impact Ogunjobi more often rather than forced to start getting pushed around. Not exactly a, a two gap run defender Ogunjobi, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope, I love him. I, I, I want him to be here. I just, if Barry doesn't offer him a deal somebody's gonna somebody else is gonna pay him way yeah. more than the browns would pay for him yeah and he can be very good somewhere else he's got he's got all the ability yeah i mean because that's just how it is i mean that's how it is other teams always value like your player more than you do right like or yeah. someone will that has a need it seems like it, especially in the nfl right um so we'll see uh, that was one question. Obviously, Denzel Ward is going to get his fifth-year extension. Oh, yeah. Baker has his fifth-year guaranteed extension hanging out there uh, with, uh, what, six to play now? Uh, wh- what, what are you thinking here uh, on that? I give it to him. See, this isn't even a thought process. Oh, Joby, there's a lot of variables Two that I really can't answer to you, but Baker Mayfield, I pretty much have in my mind. I give him that, that that I take, I pick up that option. I don't think Baker Mayfield. He, we know that Baker Mayfield isn't terrible, right? The question yes. is, the question is, is he elite? Because the Browns want an elite quarterback that they've taken at number one. Well, there's other issues that the Browns can address while they're figuring that out, right? We know we know that he's not bad. We know that he's not the issue. So go get go. Shore up, like you said, the defensive back depth, the linebackers. Go figure that out. Go get build the rest of your team. Meanwhile, you're still trying to figure out whether or not Baker Mayfield is your guy because he might be. He 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 has. I mean, I, I we've seen him. I really do believe that he is one of the most, if not the most, accurate passer in the NFL. You've seen it. You've seen him thread the needle. Now, when he misses, he misses high. He misses high, and it's bad. But you've seen him. You've seen him thread the needle. You've seen him make. Excellent passes. He's got the ability. Give him another year. I mean, he's got what? This is his third head coach in four years. Give him another shot. Yeah. No question he gets next year, right? I don't think there's any question about that. He gets he gets year four as the starter. He comes in as your starter. Da, 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 da. The question is if you want to put pen to paper and guarantee him 20 plus million dollars in year five. Uh, I mean, 
or there's just a couple ways to go about this, right? There's two questions, I think, when it comes to Baker, all right? And and I said this to Doug, too, and, and he he kind of had a really long answer, but it's, it, it's an interesting way to look at it. Does it make sense for Baker Mayfield to be the Browns quarterback now and in the coming years? I say yes, no question, because changing it would just be too hard and the arrows pointed up, right? Yes. I think that makes sense. The ultimate question you have to ask yourself, though, is, is he good enough to win anything of significance a.k.a. a Super Bowl, because if he's not, the first question only matters for so long. I, I mean, I definitely think he is. I, I don't. I think that people put too much stock in having, uh, you know, we need a Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. I don't think that's true. I mean, Jimmy G almost won it, right, on the back of Raheem Moster in their running game. You can win a Super Bowl that way. That it hasn't happened because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are gods, but you can do it. Trent Dilfer won one one with the Ravens. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Tom Brady has had Super Bowls where he was not the god. It was that it was the defense. You can you can win Super Bowls on the backs of someone else. And Baker Mayfield fits what this offense is trying to do, or at least it looks like he's he's starting to fit what this offense is trying to do. He moves the ball when he needs to, and he's not going to make mistakes. That's what we saw from this last game. I, I don't think that I, I don't think that he would be a liability if you were in the Super Bowl. If the Browns win the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. It's going to be because of the running game. Baker Mayfield ain't got nothing to do with that. Okay. That I, I, I accept that answer. I mean, that's fully the way you feel, and I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities at all, that he could be that good. You know what I mean? Um, it's just uh, it's a complex question with layers because if he's not, then how – or if he turns out to be not the guy, then how do you make the transition to another quarterback without taking – four steps back as an organization. I think that's hard to do. I think it's almost impossible to do unless you luck shot yourself into like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady in their final years, uh, you know, or whatever. But, you know, so that's why I think a lot of people are like, okay, just stay with Baker, just stay with Baker. I think he can be better, but let's, I don't want to, he's been good not great, and and he I think he's getting it, and he's getting better, and he certainly works in this offense, which I think ultimately is really important, okay? Yes. They can win in this offense with him. But, you know, you talked about his accuracy. His ball placement has been very poor last year, early this year. Yes. And, like... I feel like he just took so many steps back, and it's like, okay, if, if this if it's going to be Baker, then it needs to be like Baker was when he was a rookie now. But I feel like he's starting to – I've seen him, and, and it's not, like, real clear to, like, maybe everybody, but I feel like he's starting to go the right places with the ball. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and he's making 
he's getting off of his first read a little bit easier and, and finding the answer on the field. So let's see what he does in some good weather this weekend. And we've got the rest of the year to evaluate him still. And I think he's obviously their quarterback going into next year. And I think that's all you need to know at this point, right? So uh, I don't know. That's where I'm at with it. I really hope he's the guy. I, re- I do. I really want him to be the guy. I believe you. You think very strongly that he is going to turn it on and be that good, don't you? And, and for the record, I pre-draft, I had him behind Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. I was a big Sam Darnold guy. Oh, Josh Rosen was like, oh, mind. I think that Baker – yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. You're good. You just froze for like a half a second. And le- I, I think I have changed my mind. I think I think Baker's the dude. The fear that most people should be worried about, and I think that it, it's exacerbated, that it's made that, that question relevant is because the Browns, if he is not the guy and the Browns are sitting at 8-8 eight and eight and they need a quarterback to take them over the ledge, now they find themselves in quarterback purgatory. That's, what the New, New, that's the problem with the New England Patriots is they're in quarterback purgatory. They're never going to be in a prime spot to pick up a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. So they're going to have to roll the dice – on guys like Andy Dalton um, or Patrick Ramsey, or I'm trying, I'm trying to think of more starting caliber quarterbacks that got taken at the end of the first round and beginning of the second round. Derek Carr, those guys are few and far between. And Derek Carr, he's not the answer. Patrick Ramsey was a bust. You know what I mean? I'm, I mean, I'm just naming people at the top of my head, and they're still not very good. They're not the answer. Um, but I don't think that the offense, this offense, relies on that. I think this offense is more reliant on offensive linemen, running backs quality tight end I, you know i just i think if you get a quarterback that limits the mistakes and does what he's supposed to, does what he's told i think you win i think that that's the big difference in the baker mayfield what you're seeing him limiting mistakes i think that someone in his ear is saying okay this is what you're doing on this play rather than him sitting back and having to read the whole defense he already kind of knows where to go with the ball if that's not there i'm going here it, i think it's li- about limiting his options it's making him a better quarterback kind of, i think that's kind yeah. of like why you see him roll out so often too? He's only looking at half the field. Yeah, I I think that Stefanski's done a good job with that, definitely, um, for sure. All right, so eventually, this was the question I initially wanted to ask you, but then I, I on the way there, I wanted to ask you some more longer term questions about this contract extension. So, but the ultimate question, the way too early question that I do want to ask you is. Knowing the team as it is constructed now, knowing that most of the, the defensive pieces, a lot of them are one-year stop gaps, right? I mean, like seven yep. one-year contracts playing right now or something like that. Uh, and then you've got some young guys at linebacker that could or could not be part of this future, um, depending on how you evaluate them, you know. Mac Wilson hasn't had a great year. No. He may still be hurt a little bit. Uh, you know, Jacob uh, uh, Phillips hasn't been out on the field, but I think he could be a, a good piece. You know, he's fast and can tackle. Um, your safety position, is Ronnie Harrison a part of your future? I would like to think so. Wh- what position do you see the Browns taking in the first round of the 21 draft? Oh my God. See, I think that, I think that the days of us being able to, to just guess the position are over. I think that they're going to be drafted. And I think that's a good thing because they're going to be drafted so late. They're now going to be, have the ability to see what falls to them um, as far as, you know, value. I don't think that we're going to see them reaching for 
positional needs anymore. I think that I, I think that they should be evaluating an offensive line. I think that that should be a concern. They're not going to be able to pay all these guys, and depth is always a good thing in offensive line. You're definitely going to see them looking at linebackers. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Micah Parsons. If the hype dies down on him and he falls to the middle of the first round, he could be in Cleveland. That's a difference maker on that second, that the second unit. Um, you know, I I think I would would have said I would not have said cornerback because of Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. But with the lack of depth and the fact that Greedy Williams is never, it seems like he's never going to play. I, I guess I, I probably still wouldn't take that in the first round, to be completely honest with you, because I'm, I'm trying to bank on those two guys coming back. I'm trying to bank on Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit being my dudes in the defensive back, the safety too. So I guess I'm looking at linebacker, offensive line. Well, that's probably it. That's probably where my focus is going to be in the first round. All right, I'm going to tell you who it's going to be. Here's my here, – oh, yeah? I'm calling it. I'm calling my shot here on this one, okay? Well, not who it's going to be. I'm going to tell you the position, all right? Um. So, the only position, you know, there's certain positions that are valued higher than others, right? I don't think Absolutely. you can justify taking a linebacker in the first round unless he's, like, top 10 material, right? Just because linebacker is the new running back of the offense, right? Uh, get me some young guys that can run, and if I have a good safety and a good front four, I'll be okay on defense, right? I th- feel like a lot of... GMs feel that way. Um, same thing with corner. I, I think you already have a top 10 corner that you're yeah. invested in. It's hard to invest in another first-round corner, maybe second or third. I agree. Uh, I 100%. it. You can't go safety there again, right? But I think it has to be the defense, and I think that the, the position, second to most important position – on a football team, besides the quarterback, is the guy that gets to the quarterback. I think you got to go long-term solution opposite Miles Garrett in the first round. Like, your front four needs to be that good nowadays, and especially if you expect to win this way, right? AFC North, if you expect to win this way, then you need to invest a first-round pick in the player opposite him to make him maximize the money you spent on him and shore up that defense, I, I think that's a no-brainer. I mean, look at, like, like what San Francisco did, all those first-round picks to get to, you know, uh, the quarterback all year last year. But I think the defensive end is such a high-profile position, it makes sense, and it, and it enhances the investment you've already made in, in Garrett. I think that that is fair. That's 100% a good point, and I think that that's pretty likely. You could see a guy like – I actually wrote an article a couple weeks ago about guys that I thought would be interesting fits um, with the Browns, and Gregory, Gregory Rousseau from Miami was yep. an interesting fit because he opted out. He didn't have – I don't think he's going to wow anybody athletically, so I think he could fall in the middle of rounds to Cleveland. So I do expect him to look long and hard at an edge rusher. I, I think – you know, we talk about linebackers not being a premium position, but when it's so – bad and it is bad if you can get it <laughs> i mean it's bad i mean it's a, it's a it it's an absolute liability the goal is to try to get average there but man if you can get a guy like micah parsons it, I, you, I think that it's equal as to getting a guy like as a defensive end opposite miles garrett with that said miles garrett is also so good too that could you sacrifice 
size and maybe get a guy like or, or maybe athleticism and get a guy like um, AJ Epinesa from from Iowa last year who went late in the first yeah. round and get a guy like that to play opposite Garrett because he's good. You know, he can rush the pa- passer. You know, he's got a hell of a motor. He just doesn't have – he doesn't check the athletic traits that Chase Young does, so he's not going to be your number one guy. But he could be a great number two because you got Garrett on the other side. I also wouldn't count out wide receiver. I don't know how this wide receiver room is going to look next year, man. I mean, there's a lot that's of – what, That's what books. Doug said. Doug said – Doug Maurice asked him the same question, right? He said, speed receiver. You got to have a deep threat there. Speed receiver uh, with OBJ's future being somewhat unknown. Now, it, 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 yeah, and I, I, I could see that. I don't think that's an insane answer. You know, I know that everybody says we got OBJ and Jarvis Landry, but it, there is something missing there. Those guys aren't ever on the field at the same time. Blah, blah, blah. blah. I could see them going that route. Another thing, you know, I, 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 could, totally, I could totally see them doing that. I don't think that's insane at all. Yeah, I don't think that's insane either. I thought that was interesting. I think what you have to say is certainly valid is that it is bad enough at linebacker that if there's a guy like Parsons there, yeah, uh, and you can shore up – if you can make the guys around him better, like I think a Phillips looks a lot better next to a Parsons, right? You know what I mean? Is etc. You have uh, to pull the trigger. You have to pull the trigger like the like the Steelers did with Bush. Bush came in there, they drafted him immediately, a, a complete badass. So the Buccaneers they drafted Devin White immediately, a complete badass. Uh, uh, the Chiefs drafted, um, or no, it was the Ra- the Ravens drafted the other linebacker from the LSU in the first round. I, I, he hasn't, he hasn't been a complete badass, but you have to, if you draft oh. a linebacker, you have to be sure that that guy is the dude. That's the thing about that. A defensive event yeah. kind of whiff and you know, no one's going to blame you because you have, you have to take one because the need is there, but the linebacker, you just have to make sure that he's the guy. I, 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 I see your point. Definitely. I, uh, it's hard to guess with the, the guys in charge though, you know, you never oh, yeah. know. So, uh, I think they're doing a great job. Uh, here's I, I I keep saying last question, but I do have one more question. Do you think that uh, Barry missed an opportunity to make a move at the trade deadline? Absolutely not. I don't know why everybody's so hungry for them to make trades constantly. I, I don't. I think that that I, I I honestly I didn't think Dorsey was a bad GM. I thought he did more things right than he did wrong. I didn't think he yeah. drafted well, but I, I thought he did more things right than he did wrong. I think he took chances that a lot of GMs don't, and I think that that should be admired. But he made also made some desperation moves. Barry doesn't do that. That's what trade line, trade deadlines are for, desperation moves. I'm comfortable with him doing nothing. I'm comfortable. We don't need it. We don't need to throw a Hail Mary. Uh, you know, if you look at a lot of these trade deadline trades too, they're not good. They're you know it's usually someone getting screwed and then someone getting a lot of picks. So I you know I'm I'm cool with it. I'm cool with him sitting pat and, and being okay with that. Now with that said, I was reading an article about you know the most common thing is to trade. It's like the Ronnie Harrison trade. We traded up a late round pick for an impact player like that. That's great. If you can get more of those, that's great. But I don't think that that was a move in desperation. That's something he was working on. He evaluated it. He kind of walked the line and figured out what he needed. So. I'm I'm cool with him not making a move. I I get what you're saying totally, and uh, especially because we don't know what the salary cap's going to be. 
Exactly. Uh, it could be super low, and every rollover dollar is gonna is gonna be beneficial versus everybody else in the NFL, right? So that's that's one point to be made there. However, I do think that when you have a shot, I think you got to take it in the NFL because you're not promised to be here next year. Like the NFL is so up and down. Like one good year doesn't mean you're going to be good next year for sure. Right? Like we see teams go from good to bad to good to bad year in, year out. The ball bounces one way and you lose, you know, three games in a row. The ball bounces another way in one season and it's the exact opposite. And it could be the same exact team, could be the same exact talent. It's just, it's a matter of like three to five plays every week, right? That make the difference in some of these games. And it's going your way. You have an opportunity. Plus, I think if you, even if it was like a small buy, like a couple million dollars for like a secondary piece that really would come in handy right now, uh, this week especially, and that's total hindsight being 2020, you know, so don't, you know, I'm just saying uh, that it would help right now, but it's a morale boost too. It's like, hey, we believe in you type of thing and you add that piece to the locker room is always like for defenses sometimes can change their identity like where they were getting walked all over there for a couple weeks before the bye the defense wasn't getting off the field on any third downs forced one punt in two weeks like you add a player in the locker room right and it's kind of like okay they believe in us and that could change that could change everything now you can do the same thing on your bye week and change some scheme and give it a new feel and it can feel like a rebirth too and maybe that's what they've done i mean they have looked much different much better since the bye week but i think that the uh, getting a player at the trade deadline is another way to breach that and it's like a seize the moment type thing. Uh, you know, Browns haven't been here in 20 some odd years. You know, they haven't beat the Eagles since 1994. Haven't been in the playoffs since 2002. You're seven and three. You're sitting right there. Now at the time they weren't seven and three, but you're sitting right there in a playoff hunt. What are you waiting for? You know? Uh, so. so who would you have made the move for? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think that, um, I think that at the time, the Vikings probably would have listened to some of your offers for either of their safeties were supposedly on the block, Anthony Harris uh, especially. Um, now, what you do with him long-term, I don't know, because Barry was very clear that he didn't want to uh, go after a player that wasn't going to be there long-term. He didn't yep. want a rental, right? So that takes a lot of guys off the out of the equation, um, but there were some guys out there. There were some corners out there at the time. Uh, I had a list back then. It's long gone now because so is the trade deadline. But uh, like Nick, like Roby Coleman, we just saw play for Philly. He was on the list. Guys like that, um, just not even great players, but just a player an NFL caliber player uh, just to add in the mix, I could think could have helped. 
I think that that's fair. If you have someone in my there, there were definitely a couple of trades that I saw at the deadline that I was like, damn, I wish the Browns would have made an offer. You know, I'm not saying that I didn't see anything that didn't raise my eyebrow. I just I don't have an issue with him not doing anything. I know there was a lot of noise at the trade deadline that something big was going to happen, and I just kind of rolled my eyes at the time. Like, well, we don't need anything big. We just need to do what's right instead of making noise. But I totally see what you're saying. If the value is right, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I think you're right too. Like, I wasn't mad at it at the time, but I think presented in a different way. I kind of looked at it back at it like, yeah, this might have been an opportunity missed to. Uh, That's to, fair. Yeah, but at the time, I was kind of where you were are still. You know, like, okay, I trust Barry, and if he wants to stand pad, then I'm cool with that, and let's just see. But it's you know. Scott, my old partner, always used to say to me, like, NFL isn't one of those sports uh, or leagues where there's carryover. Like, winning the last five games in an NFL season does not affect the next NFL season at all. Like, it's a total fresh start, right? And there's no carryover. Like, and it, it's proven, like, if you look at the numbers, it doesn't matter at all. Like, one thing doesn't, like, there's no carryover. And he would always show me, give me examples and examples and examples of this. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. And, but I, I do, it, I can hear him talking to me in my head when I'm thinking about that. Like, hey, man, you know, you're only here, you're only guaranteed this season for what it is now. We don't know what's going to happen next year, even though the arrow looks pointed up. Who knows who gets hurt? Who knows what's happened when? You know, it's it's tough. The NFL's like that. Uh, it's it, I think it, you can build your team up over years. Like, I'm not saying that's not the arrow is still pointed up for the Browns, I think, no matter what happens the rest of this season. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, um, I think his point did does ring true, and if you look at teams like the Jaguars, who look like the future of the AFC, and then you look at them now, right? Yeah. Or, or other examples like that. Uh, yeah, know, there it happens a lot. Never to go back again. So I, I told, I, yeah, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I told, I totally see that. Totally. Um, let's see here. Any parting thoughts for us tonight here, Josh? Uh, Josh Keatley, my fantastic guest. Former star running back at Valparaiso. Ah, now, now the uh, uh, my uh, colleague at USA Today Sports Media Groups, the Browns Wire. Uh, he does excellent work on. Uh, I just saw your article today on the rookie league. You want to talk about that for a minute? That's pretty cool. The spring league. Oh yeah, spring the- league, spring league. Yeah. Shame it got shut down, man. There's a lot of good guys out there that you know have yes. have, have the kind of talent that should allow them to get a shot. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the Spring League. The Spring League's been around for a little bit. Manziel, Greg Hardy, and Kellen Winslow were actually on the Spring League a while back. But yeah, there was a couple guys that kind of shined. I thought Shea Patterson really shined. Um, Shea Patterson has always had NFL talent. I don't. I don't think anybody would argue with that. He's just an idiot and makes bad decisions with the football. <laughs> Right, he just makes bad decisions with the football. Plain and simple, right? Well, he yeah. seemed like he cleaned up a lot of that in the spring league. You know, he did have one game where he did throw three picks, but that didn't seem like a normal occurrence. Um, it's okay to throw three picks when you're getting the crap kicked out of you, but when you have the lead, 
you know, he limit he limited a lot of those crucial interceptions. I think that that deserves some. Uh, I think he deserves a longer look. Uh, there was a wide receiver from Eastern Michigan, Matthew Sexton. Uh, he got a shot with the New England Patriots. He ran a 4-4-4 at his pro day. He didn't really produce a lot of Eastern Michigan because he played at Eastern Michigan. Um, but I think that he probably deserves a shot. He looked really good. Had a punt return touchdown the second week. There's only three weeks of football because they had to cancel early because of COVID. But I thought that he was a yeah. guy. Um, Ricky, Ricky Aguero, who was uh, Roberto's younger brother <laughs> at Florida State. Mm-hmm. A really good spring league. Uh, he was five for five in one game, a couple of them over 45 yards. Uh, you know, at any time you can get accuracy and, and consistency in the NFL kicker, I think that you should probably take a look. Oh, for sure. Uh, Channing Stribling, another former Brown at cornerback. He's still only 25 years old. People forget he was kind of a, a sweetheart, uh, a training camp sweetheart a, a while back. It was too slow, but very dominant in Michigan. Well, it looks like he's cleaned up. I, you can never really fix speed, but you can fix your timing uh, yeah. you know, with the respect you give the wide receiver as far as cushion and flipping your hips and that kind of stuff. So it looks like he kind of worked on that. That's a harder thing to judge because he's not playing against NFL athletes. He's playing in the spring league. And there was a tight end. Um, oh, my gosh. The, na- the name eludes me. But he's a tight end. He was at Auburn. Had very little production, kind of like CJ Zoom when he came out. Looks like he's put on about 20 pounds. He moved down to tight end the spring league. That could be someone I could see the Browns taking and being very, very productive, maybe a late bloomer. Those tight ends are weird sometimes. But, yeah, the spring league is, is a fun watch. I, you know, I, I, I like watching those alternate leagues. I like watching guys get an opportunity to chase their dream. Yeah, you do uh, a great job with uh, a lot of the uh, prospect and draft coverage over at uh, the Wire and the Browns Wire, and I urge you to uh, tune into the Browns Wire podcast with Josh Keatley and his new partner, right? Uh, yeah, and uh, James, uh, you can get that where all popular podcasts are found. Correct? That's right. That is right. That's right. And uh, Josh, uh, former uh, football player himself, as I mentioned, running back at Valparaiso. And an outstanding job tonight. Thank you so much. You were fantastic. Uh, Boomerang, this card boomeranged right back at me here. There we go. And, uh, yeah, anything, yes, it, I had a blast. We, it was a good time. I'm glad we got to talk this out here before the uh, holidays. It'll be our only show this week, so... Uh, lots of people can watch it here going into the holidays and getting ready for the Jaguars. Uh, you know, we, I may be, I have an idea for like, so I can get a lot of people on this stream, right? Like I can get like, uh, like up to 10. That would be, we'd be really small on the screen, but, (laughs) uh, but I'm thinking like, you know, uh, you, Risden, Somebody else, maybe like a, we can get like a little uh, round table going, maybe on like Sunday mornings or or oh, yeah. Saturdays or whatever. So if you're down with that, I'll, I'll, I'll mark you down. And when the time comes and we get to All Eyes on Cleveland uh, round table, I, I'm going to bring you back in. Hell yeah, I'm always down for that, brother. Thanks. All right, man. You're, you're, you're a gentleman and a scholar. You do great work. Make sure you follow Josh Keatley on Twitter as well, at Josh Keatley 16 uh, Any parting words, sir? No, that's it. Go Browns. All right, sir. Have a good one tonight, and thank you for coming on, as always.
Off the fake to Sanders. He's the release, but an off-target throw is intercepted by Sione Takitaki. Pick six to the house for the Browns. Well, indecision by Carson Wentz because he has a wide-open receiver. This little fake bubble screen and go type of play, and he's got the great, I mean, just wide-open Rager, and he decides not to throw the football, doesn't see it, ends up dumping it to Sanders, and Taki Taki's all over this. Crazy. Uh, Taki Taki handled that thing nicely. Surprising. Whoop! Handled it nicely, took it in, and uh, if you watch... Off the edge there, Denzel is kind of like, he hes hesitates a few times and then he goes. And uh, good stuff there uh, as we watch that play over and over and enjoy it as the Browns are 7-3. and three. Thanks so much to Josh Keeley for coming on. Uh, all eyes on Cleveland. The podcast can be found where all popular podcasts are found. And the simulcast is now available at uh, YouTube where I urge you to subscribe, hit the little bell for notification for when we go live. Our only show this week with the holidays coming up. Wish you all happy Thanksgiving uh, and to have a safe and wonderful holiday. Before we get up and out of here, I want to make my case again for one Kevin Stefanski as the uh, coach of the year. I think he should be right there with Tomlin and Flores and they got Frank Reich and Mike Vrabel on here. So this is uh, Bet Online. You can see it on the screen up there somewhere. Up up there. Yep, right there. Uh, and they are uh, one of our uh, sponsors, Bet Online. And uh, I've got the odds here, uh, odds here pardon me, uh, straight from Bet Online. Uh, and uh, this is the Coach of the Year odds that I wanted to hit real quick before we got up and out of here tonight. But Mike Tomlin, of course, in the lead at plus 100 uh, for your odds for Coach of the Year. Uh, Brian Flores at plus 500. Frank Reich, plus 900. Mike Vrabel, plus 900. Uh, Mike Vrabel, Ohio's own, went to uh, Walsh Jesuit High School just down the road here from where I'm um, broadcasting the show in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, plus 1,200, tied with Sean Payton uh, and uh, Sean McDermott at 8, plus 1,800. Sean McVay, plus 1,800. John Gruden, plus 1,800. Andy Reid, plus 2,000. Bruce Arians, plus 2,500. And Cliff Kingsbury, plus 2500 there are your coach of the year odds Stefanski coming in one two three four fifth on here or tied for fifth with Sean Payton um I think he deserves more credit than that you think about what the Browns have been through they come into this thing and uh and there it is so uh and, and he's able to get your team to win at this level uh, doing what he's done, he's changed the culture. Evident, evident by, uh, you know, I point to Hollywood Higgins as the perfect, perfect example of how he changed the culture. is so different than it was before, and just a guy who a year ago was a, a malcontent, and then now 
is uh, didn't see playing time, but stayed ready. And when he got an opportunity, took advantage of it, and then goes to the press and says, I knew he believed, the coach believed in me the whole time. I've been waiting, I've been waiting the whole time. I knew he believed in me the whole time. I love coach, coach this, that, coach this, that, the other. You hear your quarterback regurgitating, reiterating the same phrases and words that your head coach says. These are all things and signs of the outside that you see that the culture is changing on the inside. Last thing tonight, on culture, there are there is an article out now about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, it's, it's something that would have came out about the Browns years ago. It's about their culture. It, they're calling it a college-type atmosphere culture. Uh, people uh, supposedly not being forthcoming because afraid of losing playing time. They're looking into it supposedly in Cincinnati, but it's not a very flattering article. Uh, you can go check it out. It's about the Cincinnati Bengals uh, culture and uh, it being worse than a college program's uh, culture at times this year. Interesting stuff uh, when you look around the AFC North. I really hope you've enjoyed the show tonight. Josh Keatley was fantastic. Mikey's been amazing on the ones and twos as usual. Uh, thank you so much, uh, you know, for listening. Uh, if you're on the podcast, keep tuning in. Uh, or if you want to, you can switch over to Facebook Live, Periscope, or YouTube on the simulcast. Uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button. More importantly, hit the subscribe button. Keep coming back. The little notification bell will uh, remind you every time that we are live on the air. And with that, uh, for Mikey on the ones and twos, good job, my man. Uh, my name is Brad Ward. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Browns are 7-3. and three. Have a great holiday. We are out. 